Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. I ask this morning, are you enjoying reading through the Gospels together? Is that good? Man, that's awesome. So we're coming to the end of Matthew's Gospel coming into the start of uh, Mark's. In fact, can we just turn this down just a, a little bit? I don't know if it's just hitting me, but thanks so much. Um, coming into the beginning of Mark's Gospel this week, and so that means that it would have been just a few days ago that we would have read together about Jesus entering a place known as Gethsemane, a garden just outside of the city, outside of where he would go to the cross. And it's fascinating because the word Gethsemane, it means the oil press. Jesus entered into the oil press. Now, back in biblical times, if you wanted oil or you wanted wine, then what had to happen was a pure seed had to be taken. A pure seed had to be taken and crushed. So you would take a grape and crush it in a wine press to get wine. You would take an olive and crush it in an oil press. And at the last moment of Jesus' life, he found himself standing in the oil press. It was the moment that our Savior, on His own initiative outside of the realms of space and time, decided to be crushed for us as the act that would finally crush the head of our enemy. You remember that from Genesis chapter 3, right? We fell and God came and He said, listen, one day the pure seed of a woman will come. And at great cost to Himself, by crushing His own heel, He will crush the enemy's head. And so as he steps into Gethsemane, the oil press, we're seeing our Savior willingly be crushed so that you and I, that you and I could walk every day with the anointing of the Holy Spirit freely. Did you know that word anointing? It means to be smeared every crack, every crevice, every place. It means to be smeared and covered with oil. Listen, Jesus entered the oil press so that you and I would know the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know his anointing, it is free, but it is costly. It's a beautiful gift. May we never take the anointing of God lightly. So I want you to join me right now. Hand on your heart. Would you just say this? Oh, Father, I receive your anointing. I thank you that you chose to be crushed. So I could be full. Come and fill me now, Holy Spirit. Oh, just pause here just a minute. Hand on your heart. With all the sincerity of your being, would you just say that quietly before him? Come and fill me now, Holy Spirit. Come and fill me now, Holy Spirit. 
I receive your anointing. I receive your anointing. Mm. Amen. It was in Gethsemane that Jesus prayed this prayer that would become a model for our lives when God does not seem to be working or life does not seem to be working the way that we anticipated, when life or others or ourselves break our own hearts. And he prayed this prayer. Do you remember it in Gethsemane? He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He's praying, not my vision for my life, not my understanding of what I think you need to do, but Father, what you say, would you come and do that? Now, I love that, but I got to tell you, there's something that happened in Gethsemane that we've really messed up in the way that we taught it, because maybe you've popularly been taught that what was happening in that moment is your Savior was wimping out. Maybe what you were taught was the cross was getting too hard, the weight was too great, and so in that moment, he was saying, oh, if there's any other way, if I don't actually have to go to the cross, and I want to tell you, that is not the gospel of my God, and that is not the Savior that I serve, and it is most absolutely not what's happening in this moment. When you read the Gospels, this is what you see from day one, unapologetically, Jesus says over and over and over, and by the way, you're reading the Gospels, so you know what I'm telling you is true. He says over and over and over again, for this very reason, I came. For this reason, I came. I came for a cross. On multiple occasions, he went to the disciples and he said, listen, the Son of Man has to be tortured by violent men so that I can end your violence. That's the way this has to go, but listen, he has now entered into the oil press. And there's this detail that maybe you missed. In the oil press, this is what I'm going to tell you is happening. In this moment, before the cross, not just the hours on Friday after his hands and his... No, he's in the oil press right now, and he's beginning to bear the sins of all of humanity. The pure seed is being crushed to finally crush the head of the enemy, and what happens? Listen, he starts sweating, and when he looks down, it's not sweat, it's blood. His pure blood that he came to be shed for our redemption is already being shed, but not at the hands of violent men. It's happening alone in the garden, and this is not the way it's supposed to go. When he says, Father, not my will, but yours, what he's actually begging for is enough strength. It's why he went to the disciples and said, please pray for me to be strengthened. Why? Not so there's maybe some other way. No, pray that I can be strong enough that I don't die before I get to the cross, because that's why I came. And in that moment, the pure seed says, Father, in all of my understanding of what you're doing in this moment, I've got to die at the hands of violent men, but right now my body is giving way. And I just want to say, Father, though it makes no sense to me, I trust you. And if I'm going to die alone in this garden and you say that's sufficient, then not my will, but yours be done. Now, doesn't that look a lot more like our Savior? Doesn't that look a lot more like his heart? In the same way, you and I have Gethsemane prayers, don't we? Father, life's breaking my heart. Father, I feel my prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing back down. Father, this person that I loved and that I walked with and that I forgave, I'm doing all things by integrity. And everything I thought, it's not the way that I thought this was going to go. But Father, not my will. Yours be done. In fact, through the Bible, I would say these are called even if or even though prayers. We see them several times throughout Scripture. There's one that you see in the story of Daniel. Now, maybe you knew their names as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I never like to teach it that way because those are their pagan names. Their real names were Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And these three friends of Daniel found themselves at a place where they were told, if you will not bow down 
to a false god when the music plays. They were like, listen, listen for when the beat drops. And when the beat drops, you drop, is what they told them. That was the way, that's what it says in the message. Um, And they said, listen, when the beat drops, I'm not dropping. And they said, if you don't, we're going to throw you in a furnace and you will die here in an enemy kingdom for nothing. And you remember their words? Listen to what they say. Even though prayers, even if prayers. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you set up. And even though prayer shows up again in Habakkuk when the people find themselves in exile and they've had the promise that they're going to get a new land and a new heart and God's going to come through. And Habakkuk, being honest in lament, says this before the Lord. He says, Father, even though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, even though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice and be joyful in God, my Savior. See, Habakkuk said, I believe the day is going to come where even though right now the fig tree doesn't bud and there are no grapes on the vine, I believe that the true pure seed is going to come and be crushed. And so even though I don't see it, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Do you remember it in the pages of Job? Job at a place where everything fell apart in his life. By the way, we believe that Job was the first account that we have. The first oral tradition before Genesis was Job, and Job is the gospel. So by the way, if you're like, I hate Job and I never wanted to go, it's the most foundational human story, and you and I live in it. And in the midst of it, when his friends say, say, you know, you must have sinned, or when his wife says, curse God and die, Job says this, he says, listen, even though he slays me, yet I will hope in him. Most popularly, Psalm 23 King David says these words that many of us in our dark moments in our valleys have said before the Lord, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I want to say that even though prayers are make it through prayers. Even though prayers are make it through. Listen, he says, even though I I face a shadow of a valley of death, I'm going to make it through to the other side. That's what I believe. And so, as we look at this time this morning, I've asked for four of my friends to join me on the platform. And this is pretty cool the way God moves and the way he works. He's speaking all the time, yeah? So as we've been in this series and said, we're going to go through the Gospels, and my desire has been that every week we come to preach that something that you've just read or just getting ready to read that we would be able to teach before, but we've held that loosely. And so it was weeks ago that several members of our church reached out to me and they said, hey, first was Pastor Cindy. She said, we are regularly to share communion together and this is the date I feel the body of Christ is to come and share communion. And we were in a staff meeting and all the staff said, yes, amen, we love the sharing of communion together where Jesus is broken for us and we come and take him fully. But then I got another email. Within a day, it's a member of our church and they said, hey, God's been speaking to me a lot about lament and brokenness and when God doesn't make sense. And I feel this is a word that might be for the church sometime soon. And so I took that and I said, yeah, I believe this is right. And then another day passed and I got another email from another member and they had not spoken to each other. And it was, hey, this is something about the brokenness of life and where God is moving. And so I want to tell you where we're going to go today. We're going to step into Gethsemane together. Right now, I'd like to invite my friends, Travis and Maria Cash, to come and join me up on the platform Travis and Maria are mighty, mighty, mighty son and daughter in the kingdom of God and dear friends. And Travis and Maria both had a word from the Lord. And this is what we're going to look at together today. 
We're going to look at the places where you and I find ourselves in Gethsemane with Jesus, where things seem not to be working out. Anybody there? Huh? Things in life not working out? Things not feeling right before God, before others, before yourself? And together, we're going to meet Jesus there. And ultimately, we're going to respond in a moment of communion. So here's what I'm going to ask. If you close your eyes with me, hand on your heart. If you would just tell the Father this right now. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father, not my will, but yours be done. I will not hold up my understanding today above yours. I choose to believe that you are good and you are working all things for my good. And so I ask for the courage right now in my grief and in my lament and in my pain to be honest. I ask for the courage right now to stop hiding and to stop pretending and to stop cleaning it up and to stop making it okay. Right there with your hand on your heart. Father, I just pray that you would release vulnerability into this room. That we would walk in a place where even when it doesn't make sense, even if we don't feel you're coming through, even though we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that we would say, yet I will praise the Lord. And would you meet us in a tangible way today? We speak to every discouragement, every lie, and every sense of hiding, and we say no more in Jesus' name. May you come and speak, and may we learn how to lament and grieve well. Jesus, we join you in Gethsemane. If you agree with that, say amen. All right. Morning, morning. Uh, we'll jump right in. I had a couple weeks ago now, I got up in the morning and um, I'll go, I've got a little gym set up in our garage and uh, I'll go and ride our bike. We've got a stationary bike and I don't ride it as often as I should. <laughs> but I got up early in the morning and was riding. What I like to do when I'm there in the morning is I'll listen to worship music or listen to a minister that I like and I'll just pick sermons by random or as random as I thought that morning. And I picked a sermon, uh, Bill Johnson was preaching, uh, particularly about communion. I did not know that it was uh, actually this year's Easter service. Once again, I just picked it at random. And during that sermon, he has a friend of his that's been a uh, ministry friend for years that he shows a video clip of where this gentleman shares where he had a couple dreams that were in continuance of where the Lord was going to bring a, a very mighty revival uh, of not only bringing new souls to the kingdom, of where his power was going to be very evident, and it was going to be through the context of communion. Now, that context was the communion of the body really coming back together, uh, and that as the body moved away from judgment and disconnection, and, and particularly, I think the word he said was moving into being that brotherhood and sisterhood that were united in the blood, right, and coming together, that we would see these things happen. So, I didn't even have a chance to finish the whole sermon. I got off the bike. Generally, before I go to work, I'll try to sit with Maria. We'll have some coffee. So I went inside to find her, and she came up to me a little frantic. We have a special needs daughter um, who currently, her medical condition, she has to take uh, medication uh, five times during the day. And she told me, hey, listen, Alex has just gotten sick, and the medicine that I gave her just came up. That situation for us, if that medication isn't given regularly, we can end up and have ended up in the hospital multiple times. So instantly, anxiety was starting to raise, and I told her, I said, hey, let's just take a second. Let me go in the office. Let me just, you know, put my ear to the ground here and, and hear what the Lord has to say. Let's, you know, before we start packing to go to the hospital, let's, uh, let's, let's see what the Lord's going to speak. So I went and started praying, and immediately he took me to Luke chapter 12, 
uh, where he goes through, you know, as the song was singing this morning, you know, look at the flowers, how I've adorned them, and look at the grass of the field, and look at the birds, they don't toil. You know, I have provided for them. And he was trying to calm all this anxiety, and he caps that off by saying, listen, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He didn't say it's his duty or obligation. He said, it is his, you know, he said, this is his burning passion to give you the kingdom. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just keep your eyes on him. So immediately he calmed my anxiety. And I said, okay, okay. So I keep listening. And I saw two pictures as I kept praying. One is I saw a hand with a piece of chocolate in it. And then I saw uh, my hand on our daughter's stomach and then Maria's hand on top of mine. So I thought, oh, wow, the Lord is saying, you know, give Alex a piece of chocolate. So I'm thinking maybe there's medicinal purposes for stomach aches with chocolate. Any excuse to eat more chocolate, I feel like it's beneficial, right? (laughs) Well, I looked that up. Let me go ahead and tell you right now, the worst thing that you can do if somebody has a stomach ache is give them a piece of chocolate. So I thought, all right, this is me. And and I heard the Lord say, hey, are you, you know, are you going to trust me or that phone? And I say, God, you know all things, and you know there's a lot of good stuff on this phone, right? (laughs) No, I didn't say that. I said, Captain, I got you. I'm going to trust you. So I go out to Maria. I said, hey, here's what I feel like the Lord has said. You know, let's uh, give Alex a piece of chocolate, and we're going to pray for her together. Well, she said, Alex is asleep now, so when she wakes up, I'll give her that chocolate. But we went ahead and went and prayed for her. So I go to get back, get ready for work, and when I, I had not spoken to Maria that I had just watched the sermon, and generally we'll, you know, we'll talk back and forth of, of what we feel like the Lord's been sharing with us in the morning. I go to get ready for work and come back in, and Maria's kneeling beside her bed with the chocolate, and I said, hey, how's it going? And she said, oh, I'm just doing communion with Alex with this chocolate. And when I heard it, I could just sense the Spirit of God. He said, hey, why don't you come back in the office? Let's talk some more. So I, I go back in, and, and, I, and here's what I hear the Lord said. He said, listen, my people have been taking communion with bitterness instead of the sweetness that I've intended for them. And because of that, they've been missing out on the kingdom. And I was like, man, it just hit me, you know, like a ton of bricks. And as I continued to pray about that, he highlighted three particular aspects of bitterness. The first being essentially, you know, that big part of what we're talking about this morning is that, you know, Jesus was very specific. He let us know in this world we would have trouble, right? Ultimately, everything that we know is going to be brought under his reign, right, and under the design of his reign. But currently, we live in a war zone, right? And when we go through these situations in life that, you know, bring trauma, that, you know, that unexpected impact, which we were, and I believe it hurts us so much because we were ultimately not made for that, right? Excuse me, is that... When we have those experiences, and especially if they're heavy or they weigh on you for a long time, it can be easy and it can be, we can be susceptible to move that instead of looking to the Father as our wholeness, that we began, begin to blame the Father as the creator of these situations and that we become embittered to the very person that is our salvation for the moment. The second was a bitterness of having unforgiveness with each other. That, you know, Scripture says that when Jesus led captivity captive, he gave gifts unto men. That all he was and all that he represented on the earth, he said, you're going to be this, and when I take out, I'm going to take all I am and scatter it inside of all of you as a body. Not an individual, not a super preacher, right? As a body. And when we have unforgiveness towards one another, that, and we're praying for a breakthrough, 
the problem can be is the very gift that I need or the very gift that you need could be in the one person that you've discontinued in your life because of bitterness. And you can, may never see that breakthrough because God put that gift in them and that bitterness separates us. And even does more than that, right? It not only separates you, but generally it then becomes encampments that not only am I separated from you, but now she's separated from me. And my kids don't hang out with you either. And we're separating the body, not only from each other, but from the kingdom majesty and the miraculous that he's placed inside of all of us. And then that third was the bitterness with self. And this is really evident if you've grown up in a law-based Christianity, which isn't Christianity. That if you've grown up that you're continually evaluating your acceptance with the Father by your performance, that's a bad measurement, and you're always going to end up on the short end of that stick. And if you, if you live in that mindset, then you're going to find yourself pushing yourself away from the Lord's table. Because I, I never measure up, I never measure up. And you move into a place of self-hate and self-bitterness. And you walk away from the very table that was meant to give you wholeness. So I end up as, uh, you know, Maria, Alex woke up, we gave her the chocolate. And I, uh, I brought her and I said, hey, let me tell you what the Lord just told me. Uh, and I felt this press to reach out to Pastor Chuck. Now, I told him when I call you, I said, hey, bro, I promise I don't call you every time I get a word, right? I said, but listen, I just feel like I'm supposed to share this with you and shared, you know, the communion issue. He said, hey, man, we're, we just prayed, I think it was yesterday, that we were going to do communion, but we want to really be led by God's word into this thing. So I was like, all right, God's doing something here. Well, I go to work and come home, and I get a call from Maria, and we're talking, and Alex had got sick again. And I thought, okay, Lord, I, I know you've confirmed this thing. I know this is what you're doing. And that next morning I, I was praying. I said, what's going on? Why is he like, we're, we got, we're a time clock here. We're going to have to, you know, if we can't get these meds in, we're going to have a problem. He said, you didn't pray for her the way I told you to pray for. So, see, when I took Maria in to pray for Alex that the morning, we laid our hands on her, but, but not the way that I had seen. And the way I had seen it is that I had put my hand on Alex's stomach, and then Maria had put her hand on mine, and we prayed together. I didn't tell Maria that, but I said, hey, listen, let's just go back in. Let's just go back in. I just want to pray real quick, just see if the Lord has something to say. So we go back in the room. I put my hand on her stomach. She puts her hand on mine. And as soon as I said the name Jesus, I heard the Lord say, would you be willing to invite someone in the body to touch your trauma with you? That it's this double-sided coin, that first part being, Walking, if one of those bitterness, if you see yourself in the realm of one of those bitterness, it's you're robbing yourself from the kingdom, right? What he's given, right? And not only you're robbing yourself, you could have the gift that is somebody else's breakthrough, right? And we're being separated at some form. Because that communion is this way, right? And that communion is this way, right? And so that's where I felt like the Lord was challenging us, as I spoke with Pastor Chuck, is, is for us to, uh, of, of having that courage to step into wholeness, walking away from bitterness. But then just like we walked in her room and knelt down together, that, you know, would we be courageous to invite somebody else into that intimate place where our trauma lies, understanding that my hand isn't enough, that will you intertwine with me in this trauma and help me find wholeness? Will you help me find the kingdom that has been his good pleasure to give? Now, I'll share this real quick. I had this when we were praying, well, actually worshiping this morning. God uses uh, pictures with me. Apparently, it's sweets here lately. But I saw a cinnamon roll, 
And as I backed out from that cinnamon roll, you know how a cinnamon roll is twisted up, right? As I backed out from that cinnamon roll, it was shoelaces that wrapped up. And, and let me encourage you this. I heard the Lord saying, listen, today, if you'll step away from that bitterness, specifically folks that have maybe had a, a fight that just seems like it's clung to you. He said, I'm going to tie this thing to you this morning. I'm going to tie my sweetness to you in a way that will not be untied. All right. So when I, when I shared this with Maria, I didn't realize over those couple weeks that the Lord had already been giving her a word and that when I shared that word with her about bitterness, that it kind of connected a couple items together. So I'll let her grab that from here. Isn't he wonderful? Thank you. You guys are going to have to give me a second. He talks and presents all the time at work, and it has been a very long time since I have done anything like this. So that's the notes and the cue cards and tissue, because this is a very, very special day, and it's really neat how the Lord is pulling this together. So pardon me for a second. Holy Spirit, I surrender this moment to you completely and totally. May everything I say be what you want me to say, and may every heart have ears to hear your word and your word only. Okay, so the fact that Travis and I are even standing on this stage together in a church, surrendered to this moment of ministry is a miracle of God's grace in and of itself. Quick catch up. 10 to 12 years ago was the start of a very terribly painful season for us. Besides the fact that our daughter, Alex, had been born with um, some severe birth defects and Down syndrome, and we'd made it through three to four years of different things, we had had a moment of peace. Well, then epilepsy hit our world, and everything was shook again. Unfortunately, this time, we were in the middle of losing our church family. They say there's no mass like church mass, and anybody who's been in church for a hot minute could probably testify. We had the opportunity through um, some very broken people and some very um, wounded souls that never received healing themselves. We had the opportunity to have deep, deep hurts and wounds in every three area that he just spoke about. But the good news is, God has brought us a long way, and he is literally the only reason that we're standing here today. Now, I'm going to share what the Lord has spoken to me and how all of this ties together. Um, like he said, Alex missing those doses of medicine, we get in deep waters pretty fast, so I knew we had to Something had to give, so we had to keep on pressing through. And as he said, where he left off, when he shared those things about bitterness, all of a sudden I was brought to tears. We're just sitting in the office with coffee, and I was like, holy cow, the Lord said, that's what's been holding you back. There's a little bit of bitterness that I need you to completely surrender. And I didn't recognize that I was not quite yet ready to really, truly invite my new church family into my trauma that has not yet quite resolved, but he is faithful and I will see that day. He is so faithful to complete the work that he started. Literally, there is a million details that has surrounded this story. They are everything from what Ruth said and every encounter this morning, every scripture, every moment, every old song from way back when that showed up this morning in the service. And so the details are so beautiful, but he is faithful to not miss one single one of them. So there really is hope in the waiting and the tension that is there. 
because I've been waiting a long time and had no idea that this day was going to conspire the way that it has. So several weeks ago, I was in worship, and I just felt the Lord tell me to put my hands on my stomach, hand over hand. Had no idea the significance of that. I just heard him speaking that he wants to heal and revive wombs that have been holding words and dreams and promises that have not yet been birthed. I thought it was just for me, and he quickly corrected me and said, no, this is for the church. Well, it's been a while since I've done this, and I didn't really feel the open moment to step out, and he also spoke to me about Ruth specifically, which I will tie in at the end, but it's been beautiful. The seeds that God plants within us, they're incorruptible, so they don't die, but there is something that can cause them to go dormant, and that is bitterness. The moment that shared the trap excuse me, that Travis was sharing, he said, it's that little bit of bitterness that you haven't completely surrendered that is going to bring the breakthrough that you have been so close to. The Lord says, if you will surrender this to me, you will no longer be barren. I will bring forth life because he will bless the fruit of our womb. So my part and my direction from the Lord was to speak to the women of God. We all have a womb, or we were designed and supposed to have a womb, but we are also the womb of Christ. We nurture things and and whatnot so that we may bring life to God's promises and those those sort of things. Well, the Lord highlighted Deborah to me. He brought her to mind, and I had only even heard of her mainly and focused on her as just this judge and prophetess and kind of like Xena warrior type of thing. And he brought, it's in Judges 4 and 5. I would encourage you to read it. But in Judges 5, 7, it says, The villages were unoccupied. The rulers ceased in Israel until you arose, O Deborah. You arose a mother in Israel. This is actually one of the verses in the song that she and Barak, the soldier that was called to go into battle, they sang it together after the victory. He is saying for you women to rise up in Deborah's example of a godly mother. We need mothers now more than ever. She was a prophetess. Well, in that day, not everybody got to hear a word from the Lord. So those that did, people learned to listen up and pay attention. But because of what Jesus has done, we all now have his spirit within us. And he's calling us to hear and speak the word of the Lord, to be courageous, to be bold, and to speak up. She was a judge. Everybody came to her to settle all the disputes. She heard from the Lord. She had wisdom. Again, we have that spirit of wisdom, that spirit of truth within us, and we have the opportunity to settle disputes. I don't know any of you as mothers, but I feel like I settle disputes day up uh, all the time, (laughs) morning, noon, and night. (laughs) And we have the opportunity to settle disputes between our sisters, between our family members, between coworkers. God's given us that gift of, of, of intuition and that wisdom to speak to those things. But we must do it in love and in truth by the Spirit's leading. That's important. She was a leader and a warrior in battle. She wasn't afraid to stand up and get it done. This what needs to happen. Go into war. She tells Barak, and he's like, I'm not going if you don't go with me. And she's like, all right, fine, I'll go with you. I'm not afraid. And then he lets her know. She lets him know how this is all going to play out, and that's a really neat part of the story, but not necessary for now. But she was also a worshiper. She actually wrote some of the psalms, and she sang 
as they celebrated the victory of God when everything came together. Women are being called to surrender their bitterness, to surrender the things that have caused those hurts and that has separated us from each other. That is what's going to unlock those seeds and those things that have gone dormant in our womb, spiritually and physically. Fun fact, Deborah's name, does anybody know what Deborah's name means? Yes, like bees that buzz. So I thought that was interesting because we, I love puns and I love play on words. My kids just adore it, really. So we can either be gossipers, we can either be offended at everything, we can either be judgmental, or we can be attentive to his, his voice and the spirit and what he's saying to us in correction, mothering us, and us going to others and lovingly mothering them. He wants us to pick up the sword of the spirit and the song of the Lord. He wants us to be a pollinator of the fruit of the spirit so that honey can be made for sweetness and so that the fruit of the spirit can be active and moving and nourish the people of God. Two examples of mothering. That morning that I was standing in service in my hands and the Lord was speaking to me, the Lord highlighted Ruth to me. As she was singing that morning, he said, she's mothering you all. She has a mothering spirit. She's trying to get you to go somewhere. She's walking through her own battles. She is declaring the praises of God. She is singing in the midst of her trials. That is a beautiful example of a mothering spirit. And she is absolutely the voice in this house that is leading us into worship when it is difficult. It's remarkable, the song that you sang, because that song has held me in so many dark moments, choosing to praise before my breakthrough. I'm still praising because I still haven't seen the full breakthrough of everything that I know I've been promised. And your voice, if you all will listen, listen to your mama. She is trying to help you get into the presence and have life. She is trying to help you. We all know we want to give mama a hard time. We feel like that's our job, but then there's a time to grow up. And then finally we're ready to listen to mama. The other point of mothering, funny example. I have been privy to get to meet, I, by the way, I adopt vintage women as my grandmothers. <laughs> I adore them. I think they're precious. I think they have a world of wealth of knowledge to share and I just find them and adopt them. And I did so with one of the ladies in our neighborhood not long after we moved here, precious lady. One of her other friends quickly became one of my other adopted mamas. Her name is Joyce. She's about 86 years old, and she is a pistol. I got the opportunity to start joining them for a once-a-month breakfast. They got together for some other reason. I nicknamed it Breakfast with Greatness because I just love to watch them and hear them and, and spend time with them, and I haven't been in quite a while. Well, quite a while back... This particular mama, Joyce, she said, hey, I want you to come visit me with my church. Come, I want, you need to come to church with me, okay? You're going to do it? And she's just so sweet, and she's just mothering me. And there's just no getting away from her. And I forgot I had promised her. It was definitely before we had found you all. So I happened to go back, and I haven't been in a while, and boy, she did not skip a beat. She's like, 
I'm just wondering when you're going to come to church with me. You said you was going to come. Now let's go. When's it going to be? And I thought, how am I going to get out of this? But okay, I'll come. And so she says, all right. She mothered me into this moment. She said, we're having homecoming. Second Sunday in May. I was like, oh, okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's Mother's Day. I know. But Miss Joyce, I have my mother living with me. She said, bring her too. I don't care. Let's go. You're going to be there. I'm going to see you there. Let's do. And I was like, Lord, have mercy. She's holding me to my word. She was lovingly and preciously in her little 86-year-old way mothering me into obedience. And so I said, I yield. And I thought it was funny. So unfortunately, I will not be here on Mother's Day because I am going to honor my mama. I'm going to listen to my mama. So back to the whole point. The Lord is wanting to heal the wounds of this body physically and spiritually. He wants to anoint us as the Deborahs for this generation. We need mothers. He has called us to do this, knit together. That word, when you responded to my text, it lit up inside of me, and I heard he knit me together in my mother's womb. He has caused us to knit together. We have not long been through a time of separation, isolation, being pushed away from each other, dividing walls, dividing labels, all of those things, and he's wanting to knit us back together, joining hand in hand with each other's trauma. The example of communion and how we exchange our bitterness because he already took it on the cross in exchange for his sweetness is something that he wants to do. And as we do that, it will bring life into our wombs. Most of you don't know this, but I was told many years ago that I would not be able to have kids. Doctor told me I would not be able to have children without lots of other means. Well, God healed me. And he made liars five times out of those doctors. <laughs> this morning as we were praying ahead of time, he flashed me back to that moment. I found myself just walking kind of between the rows. And on that morning, years and years ago, in the church that we first started in, I needed healing. I couldn't have babies, and it's literally all I wanted to do, that and ministry. And there was no answer. They had no solution. And that morning as I was walking back and forth in the pews, I felt a warm heat. And I had been fighting. I'd been fighting with the word. I said, I refuse to believe the report of the doctors. You said I was made to have children. You said you would bless the fruit of my womb. You said, and I believe you. And I learned to fight with the word of God. I went into battle. I decided to thank him and praise him ahead of time. And as I was praying, I felt that heat. Well, I knew because I'd been keeping up. I was late at least by a week. And I said, Trav, I think we need to go get a pregnancy test. As much as I don't want to again, because there had been lots of failures and lots of whatevers, I made him read it. He didn't know what it meant, but nevertheless, <laughs> we figured it out. He's like, there's so many lines, I don't understand. <laughs> but nevertheless, I say, doctors don't have the last word, Anna. I am a testimony of that healing. I will see the healing of my daughter. I will. He has promised me. And so I stand before you, surrendering the last little bit of that bitterness that tried to take hold. And I declare that every word he has spoken over us, everything that was sabotaged, everything that was stolen from us, 
we will see the fruit of our wombs come forth. Last little moment of culmination, and I would love to pray for anyone and everyone who feels like this ministers to them, and you're like, yes, that is me, physically, spiritually, whatever it is. We started coming to this church in July of last year as I was meditating and praying over this whole thing. The Holy Spirit said, count how many months you've been here. Holy cow, I'm nine months. <laughs> and as moms know, you're nine calendar months, 10 lunar months. I'm 40 weeks. I say we have a baby and we bring forth life and give you the opportunity to have someone join with you in whatever trauma and dark, heavy road you find yourself on. Let us be the beacon of light. We'll show you how to get through. We'll come alongside you and we'll knit our hands together and we will see life come forth. You guys can stand here together. So, so here's what we're going to do. You guys, don't leave yet. Stay right there. Um, here's what we're going to do. You heard a vision from, from them that what we're looking at this morning, and we're getting ready to activate it now, is God wants to set us free from bitterness three ways. He wants to set us free of bitterness with him, bitterness with others of unforgiveness, and bitterness of ourselves. You actually just heard Maria come in towards some of the bitterness, any of those bitterness, but where it can really come self-inflicted and keep us from the, the dreams that God wants to birth out from within us. So in just a moment, we're going to have a minute of ministry where Philip is actually going to call and open up the altar. And I'm going to ask Maria if you can be over on this side, ready to receive. So anybody specifically that heard that and said, that's me, I need her to pray that. I'm going to ask you to do that in just a minute. But I want you to pay attention to a moment that's come full circle for us because we can't we just can't miss this or move past this. Um, their message is all about healing from bitterness, and they've walked in the throes of it. Um, they would not tell you this, but they were part of a church plant that started in a living room and grew to a number of thousands of people, of just, and they were at the core of all of this. And the enemy wanted bitterness to take them out. You heard her now say, 40 weeks coming back in. And I believe there's a point of culmination for us. Not only do they have the moral authority, but I believe this is a moment, in a moment you're going to be able to pray for others to release, but I think this is a moment for the two of you. Because here we stand in, as the body of Christ, and this is what I want to ask. I'm going to ask every person, I heard two things, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And just so you know, those of you who are like, oh, stand, it's the end of the service? No, it's not. You're going to sit again in a minute. <laughs> this is the reason I thought they were to stand. There's a long time, guys, you felt like you've been standing alone. And I want you to look right now and see your family. And we stand with you. We embrace you. We receive you. You are a gift. And so here's what I heard, and this was different, so I know. And I had a moment, Travis, where literally I heard it, and I was like, that doesn't feel like it fits the moment. And he said, same thing, are you going to listen to me or what I said? I was like, Travis said there was cool stuff on my phone, Lord. And this is what I heard the Lord say. Because you know this, when you, when you get in a hometown and the home team comes in and a, and a uh, group of fans believe in their team, man, they go nuts for them, don't they? Right? It's not halfway. And so I heard the Lord say, I want you to stand with Travis and Maria and the Cash family, and I want you to celebrate the heck out of them. So on the count of three, this is what I'm going to ask. 
We're going to celebrate them the way all these years they should have been celebrated in the kingdom of God as their family, and it's going to be the birth of a new moment. Okay? One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. 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 Come on. All right, so Jesus, it is a new day, and we pray right now that everything that you have for the Cash family here in Valrico, Florida, and beyond from Overflow Church, Father, we receive them, and so I know, Lord, you say the anointing breaks the yoke. That was a powerful anointing that broke a powerful yoke. We call them now to run in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, thanks. You can be seated. Now, we're going to activate this. First of all, I just want to tell you this. There's one dangerous thing that just happened. Now, Pastor Chris and Pastor Ruth know how loud you can actually be in worship. So, no going back. So, here's what I want to do. We're going to actually now activate where we're talking, these three places of bitterness. So, I want you to shift in your mind for just a minute. We've heard a lot of vision of where we're going. Now, it's time to move. The Word of God is not given to educate us. It's given to actually move us to compassion and transformation. And so, right now, I'm asking for the Holy Spirit to move you courageously as my friend Philip comes and shares with us how to get free of bitterness with God. I'm, I'm in a tough spot because it's like all this cheering and celebrating our friends, and now it's like, all right, Philip, teach us how to lament. So, so one, I love how Chuck's already brought up Habakkuk and Job. I love Habakkuk. That's one of my favorite books of the Bible. The whole thing is a dialogue between a man and God, and him saying, I have no idea what you're doing. Everything I see seems to contradict what I know you to be. I know you to be one who cannot look at evil, and yet you're choosing to use an evil nation to punish us. What are you doing? That's the whole book. And it ends with him saying what Chuck already showed, though the fig is not going to produce, though all of these things are going wrong, I am going to praise you because I know you are a God who has a plan, even if I don't understand it. So this topic of lament really started getting highlighted to me, uh, let's see, it was last Good Friday um, when I heard a message by Pastor Gary of the Sefner Advent Christian Church, which is a small church, but I love Pastor Gary. And he read, uh, he read Hebrews 11 to me, and I just want to read a, a section of the end of Hebrews chapter 11 to you guys now. But I, it's like I heard it for the first time. And you guys let me know. I, I have a question at the end. You guys just listen to what these words are. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the powers of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Man, that's where we stop. 
so often when reading this. But let me read the, the rest to you. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skin of sheeps and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. I tell you, there are days I, I feel like the first half of that section of Hebrews 11. It's like, wow, the Lord is doing amazing things. We see healings happening at our church. People getting healed of um, allergies and uh, afflictions of all sorts. But I also, over the past two years especially, I felt like the second half of that. Things are going wrong. Things that I don't understand are happening. And I see all these promises of the Lord, but my experience is this. And we feel that tension. I, uh, this practice of lament is a long-standing Christian practice. It's a practice that tries to pull this tension into a place and then bring it before the Lord to say, hey, this is what's happening in me right now. I'm going to read um, an assortment of Psalms 38. Um, and this is David practicing lament. Oh, Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand far off from my affliction, and my nearest kin stand far off. I am ready to fall. My pain is ever before me. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation. Have you guys ever felt like that? I felt like that. When we practice lament, we are called to be honest with the Lord and what we're going through and what's going on inside of us. I know that when these things come up, when I go through disappointments, when people hurt me, when I hurt other people, I don't know why I've done it. I want to isolate. I want to blame others, and I want to put on a face. But we're called to fully express to the Lord at the altar all of our hurts, disappointments, and our whole hearts. Now, sometimes it's felt to me like the church is the hardest place to do that. I come in and it's like, am I allowed to be sad in this place? Am I allowed to be angry in this place? Am I allowed to be broken here? Sometimes I don't feel that invitation, but we're inviting all of us into that invitation today to bring it to the Lord. The altar is a place for the broken. It is a place for the hurting. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me all who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all of our anxieties on him, 
because he cares for us. Now, I want to invite all of you, if you want to get on your knees, if there's something that's heavy on your hearts today, this week, this year, um, you can come to the altar. You can get on your knees where you're at. Wherever you feel like, hey, uh, this is where I need to be to lament this morning. Um, I just want to give you guys a minute to do that, to get where you are. And I'm going to read something out of a book. Um, The book's called Every Moment Holy. It's like liturgies for every day. And there's a a whole section from this book, um, all for lament. So uh, Nathan's just going to play. I'm going to invite you guys, move around, get where you need to be. I'm going to be right here on my knees. And so as Philip does that, we're going to have Maria here. We're going to ask you as the Lord leads you, that there in your seat, here this is a chance for us to respond and come to the altar. There is so much lost in this world, O oh Lord. So much that aches and groans and shivers for want of redemption. So much that seems dislocated, upended, desecrated, unhinged, even in our own hearts. Even in our own hearts, we bear the mark of all that is broken. What is best in this world has become bashed and battered and trodden down. What was meant to be the substance has become the brittle shell haunted by the ghosts of a glory so long crumbled that only its rubble is remembered now. Is it any wonder we should weep? Is it any wonder we should weep? For we feel this. We who are your children, God, feel this empty space where some lost thing should have rested in its perfection. And we pine for those nameless glories. We pine for all the wasted stories in our world. We pine for these present wounds. We pine for our children and our children and their children too, knowing each will have to prove how this universal pain is also personal. We pine for all children born in these days of desolation, whose regal robes were torn to tatters before they were even swaddled in them. Lord, how can we not weep when we walk each day in this veil of tears? How can we not feel those pangs that we, wounded by others, so soon learn to wound as well? And in the end, we even wound ourselves. We grieve that we cannot heal and we, gr- <laughs> and we grieve our half-belief. Having made unease, uneasy peace with disillusion, aligning ourselves with a self-protective lie that would have us kill our best hopes just to keep our disappointment half-confined. We feel ourselves wounded by what is wretched, foul, and fell. But we are sometimes wounded by the beauty as well. For it whispers, it whispers of the world that might have been our birthright, now banished, now withdrawn, 
as, as unreachable to our wounded hearts as ancient seas recede down some endless dark. We weep, O oh Lord. We weep, O oh Lord, for those things that though nameless are still lost. We weep for the cost of our rebellions, for the mocking and hollowing of holy things, for the inward, the inward curve of our own souls, for the evidence of death outworked in every field and tree and blade of grass, crept up in every creature, alert in every longing, infecting all fabrics of life. We weep for the leers our daughters will endure, as if to be made in reflection of your beauty were a fault for which they must pay. We weep for our sons, sabotaged by profiteers who seek to warp their dreams before they even come of age. We weep for all the twisted alchemies of our time that would turn what might have been gold into crowns of cheap tin and then toss them into trash heaps. As if love could ever be a cast off thing, one might simply be done with. We weep for the wretched expressions of all things that were first built of goodness and glory, but are now the antithesis of that which is good. We have wept so often, we will weep again. Yet there is something in our tears, a hope still kept. We feel it in the darkness like a tiny flame when we're told that Jesus also wept. You wept. So moved by the pain of this crushed creation, you, O oh Lord, heaved with the grief of it drinking the anguish like water and sweating it out of your skin like blood. Is it possible that you, in your sadness over Lazarus, in your grieving for Jerusalem, in your sorrow in the garden, is it possible that you have sanctified our weeping too? For the grief of God is no small thing, and the weeping of God is not without effect the tears of Jesus preceded a resurrection from the dead. O Spirit of God, is it then possible that our tears might be a kind of intercession? That we, your children, in our groaning with the sadness of creation could be joined in some burdened work of coming restoration? Is it possible that when we weep, it's because the curse has raged so far, so wide? that we weep at that which breaks your heart because it's also broken ours. Sometimes so deeply that we cannot even explain our weeping, even to ourselves. If that's true, let such weeping be received, O Lord, as an intercession newly forged of holy sorrow. Let our tears anoint these broken things and let our grief be as their consecration, a preparation for their promised redemption. Our sorrow, sealing them for that day when you will take the ache of all creation 
and turn it inside out like the shedding of a gardener's glove. Oh Lord, if it pleases you when your children weep, use our tears to baptize what you love. Amen. day in this moment. You're here at the altar. For some, it's a bitterness before God that you say, I don't know why it isn't working this way. And that you would feel permission for the grace of lamenting. For some, it's a place of forgiveness. Somebody's hurt you. And maybe you got a bad theology that said what Christians are supposed to do is just Just move on past it. Just put a smile on your face. Jesus is Lord, and you're carrying wounds. I want to remind you in this moment, and from this moment, as we get ready to come into communion, the altar is going to remain open. But all forgiveness is, is the transfer of a debt. It's not a feeling. Sometimes feelings don't come for a long time. We don't put faith in our feelings. You're never going to feel like forgiving a debt that broke your heart. Forgiveness is instead you coming honestly before the Lord saying, this broke me. This is not how it should have been. This person, this circumstance, this situation did not treat me like you treat me, Father. And I was stolen from and it hurts and it's hard. But I'm going to choose not to lift my hand back up in violence. Instead, I'm going to join you in the oil press and I'm going to give you the debt. I'm going to say, King Jesus, this debt, this thing they stole, this thing that hurt, I give it to you. You saw it. You know it. Come on, somebody in this room, there's a debt that you're holding. And you keep waiting for the moment they're going to apologize. They're going to see it. Then I could let it go. Would you stop empowering that? Would you take that debt and say, here's the thing that was stolen from me and I'm taking it to you, Jesus, right there at Gethsemane. And I'm saying that this thing that has been pressing me, I'm going to allow it to be laid on you. I'm no longer going to demand anything of that other person. I release them to you. And I ask that the debt of what they stole, that you would take care of. And I want you to know our king always pays his debts. Would you do that now? Would you do that now? The altar is open. I'm going to ask for these that are praying at the altar. You'll have ministers that will just come around you and lay a hand in agreement, walking with you. Would you do that now? If there's somebody you need to forgive, there's somebody you need to let go of, would you do it now? For somebody, that person is you. You could receive all the grace in the world for everybody else, but you curse yourself in the mirror silently or out loud and you're agreeing with things the enemy of your soul is saying about you and not your father would you come right now and would you release that debt father here's all the things I feel like I've done wrong but you say that you delight over me and I've been holding my opinion of myself over yours and I'm coming right now to release the debt would you be willing to come and lament and lay down guilt and shame and condemnation. Once again, it's not a feeling. Don't wait for the moment that you feel like it. Oh, I feel good enough about myself. Listen, that that is Disney Channel theology. 
The truth of scripture is our feelings are gonna follow the fact that's been done. You are no longer under condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are presently adored and chosen and held in the beloved. Right now, would you come? Any lament, any place you need to just release yourself. Father, we're coming, we're coming. And in this moment, as we come to share in communion together, it's going to look a little different than maybe you've ever encountered it before. Forgiveness isn't easy. But it is the pathway to healing. Bitterness equals death. It equals loss. It equals extended suffering. But forgiveness is the place where life is found again. Some of you know my story and some of you don't. I'm not standing here telling you it's easy to forgive. I know it's not easy to forgive. I have a 46-year-old son who has not spoken to me in 15 years. He's had little to do with me for the past 20 because because I don't even know. But what I do know is my father said to me, you cannot live there. You can't live in that sorrow. You can't live in that rejection. You cannot live in that bitterness because it will kill you. I know what it is to forgive. Sometimes it's every day, and sometimes it's not as often. Some days are harder than others. But my friends, my brothers and sisters, forgiveness is where life is found. I can stand here before you today wearing my cool jacket, saying, God is my Father, my Redeemer, my Healer, my Savior. Jesus is real. Jesus has put me in this place. I could not have done it on my own. I didn't have the strength. Not only did Jesus put, lift me up, he gave me sons and daughters. I didn't give birth to them, but I love them. I love them. Two of them are standing here. As Maria said, we're called to be mothers. That never goes away. And men, fatherhood never goes away. You're called because he is good. He is our father. He has called you to rise up and be a dad to the broken, 
to be a dad to the fatherless, to be a mom to the hurting. I know what it's like to forgive. I didn't feel like it. I didn't. Rejection's ugly. And some of you have experienced rejection even greater. Some of you know complete loss. Ken and I know that too. Our firstborn grandson, 25 years old, taken by drugs. That was a day of sorrow. That was a day of hopes being torn away, lost. But God, but God met us in that place. He held on to us and said, I will redeem this. I will redeem because I am good and I love you. So my friends, please do not hold unforgiveness. It's, you do it all the time. You release it. You say, how? It's hard to release something like that, isn't it? But I want to tell you, you start by saying, God, I want to forgive. And then the next step is, I choose to forgive, right? Come on now. I choose. I choose to forgive. Not because I want to, but because I have to. I choose because it's a decision. It's not a feeling, as Pastor has said. I choose because there's more for me and there's more for you. There is life for you just as there's been life for me. So right now, as I've been speaking, some of you have thoughts in your mind. Pictures have come to your mind. People, institutions, friends, lovers, parents, children. They have come to your mind, and you need to forgive them. So will you choose with me today? Will you choose? So... I want you to say after me, Father, I thank you that I have been forgiven. So I choose now to forgive, whisper their names, and I release my sorrow my grief, my brokenness, my rejection, my abandonment. I release it to you. I can't hold it anymore. I give you my bitterness, my anger, my resentment. I give it to you. They don't owe me anymore. Because they can't repay. But you, oh Lord, you always 
repay your debt. You always give more than I can even ask or imagine. That's who you are. You are more than enough. Yes. You are Jaira more than enough. Yes. So I receive forgiveness and I release it in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for my freedom. Now, take a deep breath. I know that emotions have been released, and it takes a moment for them to wash down. Take a breath now. Everybody breathe. Breathe in and breathe out because now we're ready. We're ready to come to the table. We're ready to come to the table of provision, the table of healing, the table of rejoicing, the table of grace, the table of mercy. So as they're singing and playing, I invite you, the communion elements are on here on both sides. Would you come? Take one and then return to your seat. As we get the elements, we 